Welcome to episode 28 of the most serious podcast. First of all, I want to wish everyone listening and watching this a very happy new year. I hope this year brings you joy, happiness, success and whatever you're looking for in life. I also hope that you realize the importance of taking care of yourself this year. And not just people around you, but also making a conscious effort, giving yourself time and treating yourself with patience. And this episode is exactly all about that. In this episode, I talked to Mr. Bill Lee Emery, who is a personal and professional development coach. He's also the author of five books, and he brings his 40 years of work experience into this episode. Mr. Bill has worked with many elite sports people, including the Australian national skydiving team and other individuals, including world-class golfers, cyclists, and triathletes. He has also worked with senior management. from small organizations to multinational companies on a wide variety of management and leadership topics besides his corporate work he has appeared several times on the australian national tv shows like good morning australia and the today show he also has been featured and is being featured on various radio programs across the globe in this episode i talked to him about criticism the title of his latest book is how to be bulletproof from criticism we understand the concept of criticism we understand the origins of of our feelings of being criticized or criticizing someone we also discuss the importance of taking a conscious effort for your self care i really enjoy talking to mr bill he has so much experience and so many stories to tell and a lot of wisdom is packed into those i hope you like the conversation today let's get into the episode now mr bill lee emery thank you so much for doing this welcome to the most serious podcast It's my pleasure, absolute pleasure. How are you doing? Yep, it's been a lovely day so far, and I'm sure it's going to continue that way. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, it's it's uh, kind of like a morning here. I don't know. It's it's noon, twelve twelve thirty. So yeah, the day has begun. I'm. I sometimes wake up a bit late, so it still feels like morning. But uh, yeah, let's let's start with this episode. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So uh, like coming across your uh, I came across your book title uh, when I was uh, when I was browsing through the guest profile and and it read how to be bulletproof from criticism and uh, that immediately struck with me I don't know why but uh, personally also I feel that topics like criticism or in general life skills are are lacked while while education is taught you know in schools or in curriculums like even in colleges so let's talk about criticism in general what what is criticism how how can someone understand uh, the word criticism okay so there are two really two kinds of criticism one's from other people telling you that what you've done isn't good enough you're not good enough you know whatever it might be or there's the internal critic and the internal critic is probably there for most people a lot of the time and this comes a lot from our cultural um bringing upbringing and parenting maybe the culture the era that we live in and and part of growing up like i've been listening to some of your future your previous podcasts and um there's a theme about awareness about being mindful about understanding what's going about asking good questions so for a lot of people there are probably other things that they'll be doing in their life if they was if they weren't listening to the inner critic that says you're not good enough you can't do this you're not smart enough pretty enough strong enough sporty enough or whatever it might be and as 
as adult human beings, we need to be able to discern the good messages that we get from our parenting, from our culture, and the ones that basically suck, the ones that basically <laughs> uh, suck the life out of us. Yeah. And it may be that, you know, our parents did the best that they can, but often parenting is not taught consciously. It just goes from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, until someone says, hey, you know, what you're saying, what you're doing just isn't really effective. So part yeah. of this is, you know, waking up, listening to what we say to ourselves and what we say to other people and asking, is this the most humane way I can be as a human being? And and I have to say a lot of people that I work with, I've worked with a wide variety of people over the years, a lot of uh, warm-hearted, compassionate people that are compassionate to everyone around them, but they are just so bad with themselves. They just... Mm. You know, they they are, act really nasty. If you listen to their internal dialogue, what they tell themselves, they wouldn't be saying that to anybody else. But they see well, it's okay for them to just get on themselves, and that we need to wake up. I think uh, I think about this also. The point that you mentioned, uh, self talk, and I read it somewhere that uh, sometimes like uh, on just repeating what you said, you know, that sometimes people who are very compassionate, who are very empathetic with other people, they don't have that. Uh, they don't have that same compassion for themselves. And uh, this happens a lot. And this is something that people struggle with also. Like it, it just feels unnatural to be that mm-hmm. kind to yourself. You know, it feels, it feels a bit weird to say that you love yourself or, or that you will give yourself another chance. Why does that happen? Yeah. Why do you think that we are subjected to that inner critic? Well, I have to say that parenting and culture and the era that we grew up in and the people around us. So, you know, as young kids, as teenagers, as in our 20s and 30s, we listen a lot to the people around us and we often model consciously or unconsciously what they're saying or doing. So if, for example, uh, you're in a family that have very high expectations that are perfectionists, that you have to be the top, you have to be number one, and there's all this internal pressure and external pressure to do that, then those, it's often said that the the messages that we get from our parents continue in our own head within our own voice. So we mm. hear a message from our parents and it's exactly the same that we just run around our heads. And it's like we're, um, we're hypnotised, but not in a good way. And so part of this, I said, is about waking up, is really paying attention to, you know, for example, you mentioned compliments. For a lot of people, accepting a warm-hearted, genuine compliment is so alien, it's so difficult. But I want to share a, an exercise that I've used in the corporate world, and this is the shifted around. And this is something I learned from one of my mentors. Yeah. So what he did is he would get people in the sitting around in chairs, and in the middle, there's a single chair. And when uh, someone gives us a compliment, it's natural, or when I say natural, we are trained to say thank you. That's yeah. the cultural thing of what we do. Someone gives you a compliment, hey, nice haircut, nice shirt, yep, thank you. So there's, it's a two-way deal. But what mm. my mentor was setting up was that we would have an experience of receiving only. And okay. since every, everyone was going to be in the circle, on the outside circle, they would all have a chance to give something to the person on the inside. And everyone would be have a chance to sit on the chair on the inside where everyone is giving them a compliment one by one. 
So I set it up with very strong parameters. The person in the middle was not allowed to say thank you. Mm-hmm. They were not allowed to sit with their arms and legs crossed. They had to face the person with an open body posture. Yep. And the person on the outside centre would give the person a genuine heartfelt compliment, mm-hmm. uh, a recognition of something that they've done or who they are, whatever. And the person on the inside, this is really tough, and I've done this <laughs> with uh, business people, you know, corporate high flyers, pinstripe suits, looking really, really serious. And yeah. by the end of this exercise, they are a basket case. They're bawling. They're <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so the person in the middle, the only thing they're allowed to say is, of course. Okay. And my friends know that if they give me a compliment, they will know on the inside I will be saying, of course. Now, if people don't know me, I said just say thank you because it kind of freaked people out. If someone said, hey, that's really nice and blah, 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 and I said, of course, it would sound egotistical. But yeah. the point I want to make is this. Whatever we would focus on, that's what we get more of. If a child is given more attention when they've been bad and not bothered to be good, they go, hey, this is a good source of, of, of attention. I just had to be, you know, really crazy, naughty, bad, and people give me all this attention. So in the same way, as a parent, and I have my daughter is now 30, when she was young, I wanted her to, to build in solid self-confidence. I wanted her to be able to, not in an exaggerated way or not in a diminished way, so not false modesty or being, you know, bigger than she is, but just sincere and genuine. So I would set it up. If, for example, she would bring um, a painting to me. So a little girl, she brings a painting to me. She says, hey, Dad, mm. what do you think of this painting? Yeah. So I would ask her two questions, and these two questions for your listeners are worth writing down and paying attention to. So the first question is this, is what do you like about the painting? So I'd ask her, you know, what do you like about the painting? She'd say, well, I like the colours here and this, and I like the green and the reds, whatever it might be. The next question was, if you were to do that painting again, what would you change or do differently? Mm. And she'd think for a moment and she'd say, well, I'd do this, this, or whatever it might be. Then I'd ask her, would you like my opinion? And when she was younger, she would often say yes. As she got older, she would say, no, I don't need your opinion, data." <laughs> so what I'm helping you to do is to build in benchmarks, if you like, or KPIs, if you like, for those of you in the corporate world, benchmarks of what is good quality so that she is able to distinguish quality. Now, the other thing about this is I wanted her to, give, to have a good sense of her um, her unique okayness as a human being. So, you know, for a lot of people when, uh, maybe for some of your listeners this is true, they do something, they make something. So I'm holding my hand. Let's say I make this pen. Well, I've just made this pen. It could be a book, could be a painting, whatever it might be. What do you think of it? Now, someone might say, well, that's a lousy pen, Bill. Now, mm. if they say that's a lousy pen, does that make me a lousy person? Well, no, because they're talking about the pen. Yeah, But for a lot of people, they will take this pen, they'll put it right close to their heart. <laughs> so when someone criticises the pen internally, they go, yeah, you're really talking about me. You're calling me a lousy person. Mm. So, And this is literally, if you listen to the linguistics of this, taking something to heart. So as a maturing adults, we have to 
be able to discern what is useful to take into our hearts and mm. what's best to absolutely drop. So I want in my daughter, and I've taught this to thousands of people by now. So when someone gives you a compliment, at least on the inside, your own internal conversation, you go, yep, how astute of you, how wise of you, how smart of you <laughs> to notice this lovely thing about me. And one of the things that I've done over the years, and I certainly at, at your age, I wasn't very good at this at all, but I've become very good at mm. self-care. I know okay. how to emotionally and mentally take care of myself. Mm. And and when you say and when you say that you are now emotionally and mentally taking care of yourself, why do you think uh, like all the things that you mentioned, you know, culture and the feedback that you're constantly getting from people around you, and that has an impact on how you perceive yourself, right? If if a person decides that uh, I am going to now take care of myself, right? I am going to put myself as a priority, and my health is also like my mental health or even my emotional health. I'm going to acknowledge them and put them as a priority. So, what do you think that in your journey from transitioning to someone who didn't take care of uh, who didn't take care of themselves in in a more you know like in an emotional sense or a mental sense, like you mentioned, you know, earlier in a younger age, you were not that uh, aware about your self care. So what roadblocks do you think that one will eventually fall on and you could guide them through them? Like, or is it a very personal journey for everyone else? Oh, uh, well, it's going to be a personal journey for everyone, but there's going to be some common themes probably that will come along. And one of the, the ones is, is pain. And, and pain can be a beautiful thing. Pain is like, you know, like if I put my, my hand in a fire, it'll burn. The pain is telling me don't do that. So we have physical pain, we have mental pain, we have emotional pain. So when we're feeling pain of some kind, that's our system saying, don't know what you're doing, but stop it. <laughs> You've got to do something different. So, for example, you know, I know a lot of high-achieving people. I've worked with people, for example, the Australian National Skydiving Team. They're a crazy bunch of guys. And work at, you know, they jump out of airplanes at 16,500 feet. And, hey, this is, this is actually an interesting story related to this. So I was working with them with a business partner of mine, and we were dealing with um, kinesiology, and I was dealing with um, uh, learning states and a whole bunch of different things. And they would do a jump from 16,500 feet. There'd be five in a, in a formation, and there'd be someone videoing the formation. Then they'd come back down, they'd put the video in the you know, the VCR machine in those days, and they'd watch the video and the coach would say things like, oh, that's not right, that's not good enough, you should be doing this. And it was what he was paying attention to was all the things that they were doing wrong. Okay. Now, they would do like five jumps in a day and they would start the score and the score might begin, uh, say, t uh, 12, which is pretty good. Hmm. Then as they went through the day, it would go from 12 to 11 to 9 to 8, and the scores were getting worse. Okay. And the coach said to me, so, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, we get whatever we focus on. And they like, okay, so what does this mean? So I said, start <laughs> focusing on the things that you like about what the guys are doing. So we got, hmm. oh, okay. So they did another jump, come back down, they watched the recording, and, you know, you can tell people stuff. 
<laughs> but sometimes old habits just kick in. So there he is. She didn't do this. She didn't do that. This is wrong. And I'm going, okay, so he's not getting the message. So he couldn't see me, but behind me there was a um, there was a whiteboard. So I drew a line down the middle and two columns, plus column and minus column. And every time he said something negative, I just put a mark in the negative column. Every time he said something positive, I put a mark in the positive column. Now, the, the team could see me but the mm. coach couldn't because he was facing the other direction. And I didn't tell the guys what I was doing, but it became very obvious. And he yeah. would say something negative, I would do this. And they, <laughs> so now they're starting to giggle amongst themselves <laughs> that, it's a, that it comes with this laughter. Then he turns around and he sees what I'm doing. He says, oh, thank you for that reminder. So then he started to focus on, this is really good. I really like the way you're doing this. So in general, as a human being, for you, for your listeners, you know, at the end of the day, let's say you do something. You know, I've done a lot of presentations. I mean, on TV, even on radio, lots of corporate training. Mm. And, and what I learned to do early on, once I'd done something, I'd ask myself those two questions. What do I like about what I've done, what I've just done? I got up, I opened my mouth, and I spoke, yay, victory. And then I'd go down a little bit more uh, precise about that. Then I'd ask the second question, what could I do differently? So I wanted to build on the strengths because I wanted to build my confidence, not in a false, fake it till you make it, which I don't believe in, not in a false way, but in a genuine way, but to focus on the strength, on the things that I'm doing well, because I want to do them more. But I need to bring that into my consciousness, into my awareness. So mm. my body, my neurological system goes, hey, this is what the dude's after. This is what he wants. So you know, perfection, uh, and I work with a lot of perfectionists, and there may be some listeners who are perfectionists or maybe their families wish what they are perfectionists and they are, so you get the drift. So perfectionists are really good at focusing on what isn't right. Mm. They don't notice all the good things. All they well, notice are the bad things. And so you'll get more of what you pay attention to. So if a child is naughty and they're given a lot of attention, that's what you're creating. So part mm -hmm. of this, a big part of this is, is awareness. And I challenge your, your listeners to listen to their internal dialogue. And in, in the new year, I'm actually creating a, a new program, online program, workshop, which is going to be called How to Turn Your Inner Critic into Your Best Friend. Mm. Because, and this comes from another model um, called psychosynthesis, and your listeners can look that up. And basically, the, the psychiatrist that started this 100 years ago, his name is Roberto Assoglioli. I'll probably pronounce that wrong, but hey, that's okay. That doesn't matter. Yeah. He said that behind every behavior, positive or negative, there's always some positive intention that's attempting to emerge. Okay. So if you take criticism or if you take someone being a perfectionist, then underneath that, there is a desire for that for something better for that person. Mm. Uh, give me a very simple example. Um, and you may have had this, this experience. Um, often parents will nag their teenage kids to do their homework because the kids aren't, you know, they're on right. social media, whatever it might be. They're yeah. not doing what they need to do. And mm. so the parents are going, nag, 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 you should, you must, you have to, blah, 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 blah. And why do they do that? Well, they do that because they want their child to do well at school. So why mm. do they want to do their, the child well at school? Because I want them to have a good education. 
So who cares? Well, they want to have a good education so they can have the kind of life that they would like to have. Yeah. And why do the parents care about that? Why don't they just let them go do what they want? And they do that because they love their child. Mm. But does the 14-year-old that's being nagged by the parents go, ah, oh, hey, mum and dad, they love me so much. <laughs> that's why they're on my case. That's why they're telling me to do this. Ah, oh, thank you, parents, <laughs> for loving me so much that you're nagging me because I'm not being responsible for what I need to do. That doesn't yes. happen at all. No, so not underneath, at all. Not at all. Underneath that nagging behaviour is the love for the child. But the parent, if they had a better way of expressing that love, they would get a different response from their teenager. Mm. You know, so underneath, you know, someone's perfection, someone some their criticism, whatever, there's something good that's there that's waiting to be discovered, but we need to go looking for it. And talking about uh, all of this, like, uh, I take a moment and think about criticism in general, you know, and uh, this term critic, this term, even criticism, does it from a literature point of view? I don't know. I'm like not very good on English literature, but does it come with a negative connotation or have we, have we put that, uh, in, into through our modern day culture? Well, it's, yeah, I think both, you know, I think criticism for human beings has probably been around as long as we've had language or drawings on a cave, we've been able to say, that's not good enough. You should be doing this. Yeah. So, but now of course, the criticism can be anonymous. You know, like on social media, the people can get hammered for making a comment about something and someone on the other side of the planet can just really attack them in a way that's very vicious and anonymous. So then yeah. how do you protect yourself from that kind of, of onslaught? And part of that is really learning, and it may be a period of time that you do this, to to know who you are. And, and this is an age-old question of, you know, who am I as a human being? Mm. Um, so let me come back to the pen for a yeah. moment. So I make this pen. Someone says that's a lousy pen. Well, that's someone's opinion. Mm. The fact that this is a white pen, it's got black ink, and there's some writing on it, that is a fact. So if I am not able to distinguish the difference between a fact and an opinion, then I can take someone's opinion as if it's a fact. And right. I don't know how it is in your country, but when a politician says the fact or the matter is, I know what they're going to give me, that's going to be their <laughs> opinion, but they want me to take on board. So I need to have this awareness. Is this a yeah. fact or is it an opinion? And then the next level is whose opinion of me hmm. am I going to honour? Am I going to honour some anonymous person who I'll never meet, never see, you know, hear, hear of except through their trolling? Or am I going to honour my opinion about me? And this is not becoming delusional or, or bigger than we are, but it's just being an honest appraisal of the goodness, our, our innate goodness as a human being. And this is something that, you know, as a 20-year-old, I had no clue. <laughs> no clue probably till my late 20s. Like, you are way ahead of me, dude. Like, you're <laughs> 10 years ahead of me at your age. And I, I want to tell you the story, if I may, about the old line and the young line because it's sure. relevant here. Sure, sure. So this is an old, old story. So there's this old line in the jungle and he's up on a hill and he's surveying the landscape. And he looks down. And by the way, this lion has been around like forever. He's battled scarred. He's done this, that. He's just so full of 
of war stories, if you like, and wisdom that come from that. And he looks down the clearing and he sees a young lion and he remembers what it's like to mm. be a young lion, full of piss and vinegar and aspirations and dreams and, and, and arrogant from, from youth, the arrogance of youth. And, you know, we know it all, etc. Well, I did as a 20-year-old. And then we go down to the young lion and the young lion looks up and he sees the old lion he goes, wow. Look at those battle scars. He's been everywhere. He's a, he would have so many just fascinating stories, and I would love to talk with him. And, of course, the old line, <coughs> pardon me, the old line is saying, but, hey, why would he want to talk to an old bloke like me? And yeah. the truth is the old line and the young line both have a gift for the other. And what I see that you are doing, you are collecting great stories from some old lions and lionesses <laughs> from around the world. That's going to speed, speed, tra fast track your own personal learning. Mm. So that's a very wise thing that you're doing, I've got to say, young lion. And at my age, I'm, I'm in my 70s, I can claim to be an old lion just by my age, if not by my wisdom. <laughs> but the, the book itself, my book is actually... It's the wisdom that I've gained from others. I didn't come mm. up with any of these models, but they mm. are my stories, sure, and to my voice. But And it, for me, it's a pleasure as an old line, take this wisdom that's taken me some pain and angst mm. and agony to, to get to and pass it on and go, hey, you want the fast track? Read this. Do this. Not my wisdom, other people's wisdoms. Yeah, But this can just, you know, if I had, you know, you'll often hear, quote, older people say, if I could only have, you know, your youth and you know, all that <laughs> stuff, <laughs> yeah. we would do things differently. Well, no, we probably wouldn't, you know, we'd, we'd see the world as we saw it at that age, but yeah. we mature. We mature, yeah. we, we, we grow. And if we can gather wisdom from other people and their mistakes and their, their battles in life, that can make us sharper. That Because... You know, the, the era that you're growing up is very different from mine. And you're mm. going to have way different more challenges than I will ever experience in my life. Technology, for one thing, speed of the world, et cetera, et cetera. So you're like, you're, you are going to need to be sharp. You're going to need yeah. to be on your game. So um, kudos to you for gathering this wisdom from a whole bunch <laughs> of old lines from around the world, like far out there. That's a, that's a very smart move. No, that's uh, anti the beauty of this analogy and uh, the gift of experience is this only, you know, so I, now I'm talking to, talking to you and I'm not just talking to your current self, not the, not the 72 year old, uh, Mr. Bill. I'm talking to the, the process of you becoming who you are. I'm talking to that experience that, you know, uh, that vast uh, wealth of whatever, whatever experiences you had, whatever insights you picked upon during, during, interacting with so many people and, you know, giving them professional coaching, working with some really high level teams going on TV shows and radio networks and all of that. And that certainly that gives, uh, that gives off, right? So if someone comes across this podcast and they, they do end up listening to it, they will benefit from all those uh, 70 years of life that you lived. Right. And, and that's, that's just the beauty of experience that it can be yes. transcended transcended through communication through language and like yeah. do you think do you think as you mentioned that the age that we are in right now it is very different from the age that you grew up in maybe so from i still believe that uh, the human problems are still going to be the same because uh, eventually we are 
human at the end of the day you know how how whatever the interfaces uh, combine and how much uh, do we integrate with technology but the social problems or the human level problems will always will always somehow be attached to the to the ones that existed before right what do you think is uh, like one major striking difference you feel that when you were growing up or the struggles that you faced and uh, now that the struggles you see people around you facing so you feel that this uh, this certainly was something that we couldn't have imagined uh, like you know problems like this would exist like someone let's say uh, sitting uh, on the other side of the world saying something okay your t-shirt doesn't look good at all and growing up i, I don't think that would have mattered to you because you wouldn't have been able to hear it anyway right so do you think that uh, th- there are some changes that uh, that you, you you are really like surprised to see in today's world yeah well w- w- let's take um, bullying so yeah. when i was at school um and i uh, part of my schooling was at boarding school so we couldn't get away from anyone <laughs> but even when i went to a day school you yeah. know there might be a bully they throw their weight around they, you know they maybe punch you or whatever <laughs> what they would yeah. do but then you go home and when you're yeah. home you're safe and even at boarding school you know um and a whole bunch of guys and there'd be there were always bullies yeah. but then when we went to the dormitory and when i lay down to sleep this was my safe space yeah so but for for your generation and it's very different it's almost like you can't get away from mobile phone well you can just turn it off mm. um but but it's a very different and because it's so global because it's so instant and everywhere you know this podcast can be heard across the world uh, and so, so the reach is enormous yeah. so part of this and, and really part of what this comes down to is the boundaries that we create mm. So for example, um I have I have learned for many years to have very clear boundaries about what I take on board and what I don't. If someone okay. were to insult me, I have got ways of dealing with it that I didn't as a 20-year-old. Maybe mm. as a 30-year-old I I had some skills by that time. So I've got some very clear boundaries. So if we don't have if we don't have clear boundaries, then we can be more easily violated. Mm. So for for younger people you know I'd say take charge of your boundaries. Now I see people you know sitting at a cafe texting each other when they are a foot away. And that as a an older line just blows my mind go hello just put your phone down and talk to them right <laughs> there you don't have to text them. But this is a different culture. I didn't grow up with that. You did. You have this. Yeah. And I I have a um like when i'd see my daughter and we you know we go out for lunch or dinner we'd have a rule we'd put the phones down and whoever picks up their phone first pays the bill ah oh, that's awesome i i i'm <laughs> totally going to implement that now because <laughs> no one will pick up their phone yeah. no one will pay the bill so, that's so but cool. that's a boundary that's yeah. a boundary so in the same way that we need to have boundaries within ourselves we need to have boundaries with other people about what we accept Hmm. and and part of this is learning you know there's so many things to learn when you're 20 when you're 30 even 40 and 50 so many things to learn so new experiences that are happening all the time and and part of all this is coming to c- 
coming back to ourselves. So let me give another example. Um, sure. In my, in my early 30s, I've been training for about five years and I was giving a, a presentation over eight weeks to a group of academics. This is a, a group of special education teachers. Hmm. They all had uh, PhDs or at least a master's degree in education and I don't have a degree in education and I was teaching them stuff <laughs> that they didn't know. I was teaching about accelerated learning, mind mapping, colours, a whole bunch of really you know, fun things. They didn't know that stuff. And I was talking about a model called transactional analysis, and your listeners can just do a search on that. It's a model that came out in the late 60s, early 70s, very simple model of human behaviour. So there's like this parental part of us, the adult and the child part. And part of the parent is the critical parent. It's the should, you must do this, and it's very controlling, dictatorial, authoritarian kind of, pardon me. Yeah. So there's a critical parent, if you like which is very good at doing all the criticism or the perfection stuff. And on the other side, you've got the nurturing brain, which is a really caring, emotionally supportive part. So I made the comment in the second week. First week went fine. We're getting to know each other. And then I was talking about this model called parent, adult, and child. And I made the comment that I didn't think that guilt was a good way of getting kids to do things, and I still don't. Mm. Well, that comment just sparked one of the participants off and she launched into the most vitriolic personal attack I've ever experienced in my entire life. No one has come anywhere near close. It was like scud missile after scud missile after just attacking, attacking, attacking. And so now I'm in my early 30s. These are highly professional people, way more educated than me. And I'm, and so my stomach just goes, <laughs> crunches yeah. up with a ball of fear. Yeah. And I'm rapidly thinking. But fortunately, I'd learned a couple of things. I learned how to belly breathe, you know, like yogic breathing, breathe deep into my belly to calm my nervous system. Yeah. And the other thing I know about human beings is they will only attack if they've got something to defend. Mm. So I was rapidly thinking, so what? What is she defending? And then it came to me. I had just explained to her peers her behaviour. So if there was to be a critical parent in the room, she was the epitome. Hmm. And she would boss people around. She'd be telling people what to do. And now everyone going, ah, she is a critical parent. So she was basically um, protecting her, her reputation, her pride, her ego. Hmm. So I knew, so she was just attacking me on processing. So a whole bunch of things going on at the same time. I'm emotionally supporting myself, reminding myself of the value of this particular model of human behavior and also my connection with it, my love of it and my my expertise in expressing it. So I'm doing all this emotional support. My adult is rapidly thinking, like, why is she attacking me? Um, My belly is just like in knots. And, and But there's also the part of me that just wanted to attack her back. You know, you yeah. mess with me, I'm going to mess with you, but I had to hold that back. Because if I attacked her back in any way, there'd be 20 people against me. Mm. Right now there was 19 on my side because I could tell. <clears throat> so I had to keep my calm. I had to be very deliberate and very professional. And so if this is a game of chess, I had it in checkmate in two moves with two questions. Now okay. I won't tell you. I won't tell you what those two questions are. <laughs> go read sure. the book, and because there's more. More otherwise, I'd just be telling the punchline. But sure. what that taught me is that you can have a theory about something, 
Mm. But it's only when you actually put the theory into practice mm. will it become a useful lived experience. So for mm. your listeners, you know, I'd highly recommend going back over all the other podcasts that you've done and picking up bits of wisdom from other speakers and go, how can I use this? And it will only be when they use it, it's of any value. Otherwise, it's just more information inside their head. Mm. So it was a very good example of me of learning a theory about something and then, okay, here's a chance to use it. Yeah. And I did. And I'm really going. And if I met that teacher again, I would give her a big. So she has been a blessing. At the time, I didn't think she was a blessing at all. It was just like this horrible attack that was coming. So part of being into it, you know, being clear, being centered, being grounded. And it's from this space that we can, our, our wisdom can actually emerge. But if we go into panic mode, forget it. Toast, you're done. You'll be roasted. <laughs> and uh, like the interesting part about this situation or this whole narration is uh, you being able to disconnect yourself from that current state of reality that was happening, right? So let's say in general, I can talk about like from my personal experience, I can say this. And why I find the idea of, or the topic of criticism to be, to be one that should be talked about is once someone uh, walking on a road, let's say for an example, or I'm going to my college or a professor stops me and they say, how are you dressed? You know, this, this isn't a decent way of dressing for a student or whatever, you know, it could be that t-shirt doesn't look good or whatever your watch. Like I bought a new watch and they say, oh, this doesn't look as good as you were thinking or whatever. Now in that moment. I'm not able to disconnect myself from, from their opinion. And, you know, you mentioned that there are opinions and their facts, but in that moment of reality, I am too absorbed in trying to defend myself in trying to make sure that my worldview or uh, the things that I think about myself are defended. And I'm, I don't look weaker or I don't look, you know, criticized in front of everyone. So how does that transition of uh, being calmer in your skin and being true to yourself and still being able to disconnect uh, and uh, interact with someone who's criticizing you or, you know, in general, who is, who's getting under your skin. So how do you do that? Well, the first thing I've kind of mentioned, and that is to use your breathing to calm your nervous system, because if you're in like a panicky mode, you won't be thinking clearly. So you yeah. need to be able to calm your body. The other thing that you need to do, as I talked about, you know, using your internal nurturer, to mm. nurture yourself, to take care of yourself. So that's the second thing that you can start to do. And then also to think clearly about, so, you know, know the difference between a fact and an opinion and someone's giving you their opinion and, you know, maybe it's a professor and maybe you can't say to them, hey, yeah, that's just your opinion, you know, mind your own business. That may not <laughs> be so politically smart to do. Yeah. Or it might be, you know, someone in your family and art that you couldn't do that because you just get roasted for the rest of your life. Yeah. So you have to be careful. You've got to pick that. But so even if you just stumbled through that, it doesn't really matter. But in hindsight, think about what you did, how you responded, and 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 use your self-awareness to go, well, what did I like about what I did? Well, I didn't run away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I That's there. valid. I looked them in the eye, whatever it might be. Okay, if I was to do it again, what would I do differently? Well, I would start to have some, because if it's happened before, chances are it's going to happen again. 
So maybe yeah. now what I'll do is I'll think about what responses I could have mm. that are calm, that are reasonable, that are honoring of the other person, but not diminishing myself. So you can do some research on that. And yeah. by the way, one of the things that I often uh, encourage my clients to do is to go and do a program on assertive behavior. Mm. Okay. You can do them online. You can read books. So learn the language of what to say, learn the body posture. So do all that learning so that you can stand in your own, your own power and not allow yourself to be diminished by another human being. And I have to say, it's a bit like, you know, learning to drive a car. When we first learned to drive a car, we crunched the gears, we stopped abruptly, we hit things, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> We're not very good. It's good learning. So after a while, you just get in the car, you know where you're going, and there you are, you're there. So this is the same thing. Allow yourself a learning period and transition from, you know, not being maybe very assertive to being either aggressive or submissive and finding the place in the middle. And so do that learning path because it has to happen. You can't just, mm. you know, after listening to this, you're not just going to go, you know, be bulletproof completely. There's some work to be done here. There's some yeah. things to practice. And so use that process. And at the end of the day, I actually let me add another element here. Sure. And, and this is probably, um, from my perspective, one of the, if I was to give you uh, the most precious gift of wisdom, it would be this particular concept. And this, again, I didn't make it up. It came from my mentor. Yeah. So we were learning about transactional analysis, gestalt therapy, a whole bunch of really groovy things over a period of a year or more. And uh, on this particular weekend, John Barnaby is his name. He was my mentor at the time. He put on the white and we're thinking, what do you mean? Life is meaningless. You know, the whole program we're doing with him was to find the meaning of life, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, so let me explain, because he could see we're all looking a little bit stunned at this point. Mm. So another flip chart, he wrote the word event. Mm. And he said that your life every single day is a a series of events, again and again, thousands of events every single day. This, our conversation, is an event. Your listener listening to this is an event. And what he says is from birth to death and everything in between, is meaningless. Every event is meaningless or innocent. Hmm. And he kind of let that kind of bit we're going, oh, okay. And he said this, he says, okay, you're walking down the street. You see someone that you know, you wave to them. They completely ignore you and walk straight on past. Hmm. So in an nanosecond, we will make a meaning of that event. What's wrong yeah. with him? Going inside of our head. And that's one meaning we can place on that event. Hmm. Or another meaning is, wow, they look really kind of distracted. Um, I wonder if they're okay. I'll check with them later on today and just see how they are. So two possible meanings of the same event. Now, you could have a 100 different meanings from that event. And John said this. He says, every event becomes our reality. Hmm. So if someone says something to me and I make it mean that there's something wrong with me, that becomes my reality. That becomes how I will behave. That becomes how I will feel and what I will think. So mm. the meanings that we make become our reality and every meaning is always self-chosen. So I can okay. choose wow. whether, yeah, like truth bombs, that was like hitting me when I was sitting going, wow, I could choose the meanings I make, though they just happen to me. <laughs> yeah. And then, no, you choose them. 
and and some, um, I was thinking about this, and then he came in with the real gem, and that's this. He said, it doesn't matter whether the meaning that you're making from that event is true or not, because that's debatable. He said, the real question is, is that meaning useful or not? And I'm mm. sitting there like he just given me the keys to the world. <laughs> so, so I'm understanding this intellectually. Well, yeah. So I'm angsting, you know, I'm, you know what, what she said up all And I'm making all these meanings out of what she said. And I stop myself. I said, well, hang on. What's the meaning that I'm making about what she just said? And, and you will find that there is a level of different meanings. So mm. there was a surface meaning. You know, she's yeah. angry at me. So what's underneath that? And what's underneath that? And what? And then I would find right down the bottom somewhere the key meaning that I was making that this was just the trigger mm. that was revealing to me a meaning that I have about myself, about the world, about how that all is. Once I'd got to that meaning, then I could ask myself the key question, is this meaning that I'm making useful or not? And if it is useful, I keep it. But mm. if it's not useful, I've learned over the years to drop it as fast as I can. And I still use this in my relationships today with people. Someone does something, they get angry, something's on TV, there's some political stuff, whatever it might be, and I'm going, Argh. and then I go, hey, hang on. So what's the meaning I'm making about this? And is mm. that meaning useful? And it just helps me to be really clear, be really conscious about what I am doing on the inside of my body. Because in my opinion, life is lived from the inside out. My, mm. The quality of my happiness has got nothing to do with anything outside of my body. Absolutely nothing. Mm. It's always an inside job. And I learned many years ago there are three levels of responsibility that if we are to be a mature, functioning adult, this is what, the first one is we need to be responsible for what we think. And going okay. back to that story of, of this you know, friend of mine ignoring me, if mm. I don't take charge of my thinking, I'm done. I'm, I'm toast. I'm gone. Mm. So one is being responsible for my own thinking. Mm. The second one is being responsible for my emotional state. Mm. Okay. You um, that all our emotions are verbs. So I don't have anger or I don't feel anger. I do angering. Okay. I don't do, I don't, that's another one. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't feel, I don't feel sad. I do sad-ing. I yeah. don't have fear. I do fearing. Yeah. So all these emotions that we think happen to us they're actually things that we are actively engaged in. Wow. So uh, that's another little conversation there. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's, but that's amazing. That's an amazing insight, uh, right? That's huge. And I only really got that insight like five, seven years ago, really, like really, really kind of. Yeah. And the other one, the last bit of responsibility is being responsible for what I do. So mm. to the degree that my life is fulfilled, happy, satisfying, engage, me loving what the things that I do are my relationship to those three things. If I abdicate my responsibility for any of those things, my life will go down, will, will just diminish. Mm. So as an, as an older lion, I would recommend <laughs> to all the young lions and lionesses listening to this is like really think about 
you know, what we've just said here, because it's some really yeah. deep and profound things. And I wish that um, it was my intelligence that came up with them. It wasn't. I just happened to be the vehicle and the very <laughs> happy vehicle for passing on, because these things have made a profound difference in my life. And see, now this, uh, now this becomes timeless. Again, uh, the, you know, the beauty of technology is now you sharing this wisdom, this will live on. And uh, by the time we have this technology and people, let's hope that people do benefit from this, but on a personal level as well, uh, hearing you talk about all of this, this uh, does send you into that realization state. But I also like the fact uh, of you constantly mentioning that, uh, you know, it, it's, it isn't supposed to just uh, make you feel good for a moment. You have to do some work on it and you have to consciously allow yourself to think on those things and then act accordingly. I think that's what yes. that's, that's like a major takeaway. Yes. And, and it's, it's, there's one thing to be awake, to wake up to these things, but yeah. staying awake, that's the challenge. That's the hard wow. thing. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the everyday turning up, showing up, being responsible, choosing the things that we want to do in our life. Um, I use a coaching methodology which actually combines ancient wisdom mm. that's thousands and thousands of years old from all the way around the world and modern neuroscience. And one of the things I learned from that is that we have three major centres of intelligence, one in our head, yeah. one in our heart, and one in our belly. Yeah. And when all three are aligned, we make the wisest decisions in our life. And when we stand correctly, posturally, when someone is standing correctly, and I don't know if you've done uh, yoga or anything like that, but when someone's standing correctly, and this was taught to me by one of my teachers, she said, yeah. your heart is slightly ahead of your head. So mm -hmm. we are designed physically, neurologically, biologically to lead from the heart. Mm -hmm. And our head brain and our gut brain is there to support our heart. In mm. traditional Chinese medicine, they call the heart the emperor or the empress. The head brain is the governor and the gut brain is the general. So both the governor and the general are subservient to the emperor the or the empress. empress. Mm. Yeah. So when we find, you know, because you've had podcasts about, you know, finding your passion, doing what you want to do, if we just direct those things from our head, that's going to be a disaster. Mm. If you look at the things around the world that are not going well, it's because someone's head brain has come up with an idea and they're disconnected from their heart. Mm. But when someone is connected to the heart, this is when compassion comes into the picture. And compassion, there's two parts, compassion for self and compassion for other people. Yeah. A lot of people are very good at being compassionate towards other people, but they're not very good at being compassionate towards themselves. Yeah. And we need to have a balance for this. It's like... You know, if I if I could ask you, is it better? So giving and receiving, because this is part of it too. Yeah. Is it better to give or receive? Yeah. What's your I response? think it's better to give. Uh, it feels better okay. to give. Yeah. Why would it say that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> why would you say that? Um, um, I, I, I say that because like, you know, like on, on, uh, re recalling my life experiences, right. So I I've received things and I've given things and, uh, the, the feelings that come after giving are, uh, are more, uh, I would say long lasting if, if that makes sense, but, uh, they're also, uh, a level deeper. Like when you receive something, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, 
it's a completion of a desire that already was present right so you had something that in your mind and you wanted to achieve that and you know you you received that in whatever sense and once you give something out you feel more uh, i just feel more fulfilled and content you know it it just feels better yeah when i ask this from most people and i've done some you know seminars and stuff most people say it's better to give yeah so let me ask you another question is it better to breathe in or breathe out um breathing in takes a lot of effort i think breathing out is is just natural <laughs> so which one is better um wow that that's that's a very different question uh i i think i would say breathing it's out is it's, it's a it's a silly question <laughs> yeah because giving and receiving is the same as breathing in and out okay you try doing one and not the other you just try breathing in and breathing in and breathing in and breathing in and yeah. your body will go hey i don't know what books you're reading but you're not doing that so if you make you unconscious and you yeah. go back to breathing in and out in the same way if you just you know breathe out it's the same thing your body go you're doing crazy stuff dude stop it and make you come unconscious so you can breathe in and out in and out so giving and receiving is the same mm, okay. we need to do it in balance and giving by the way is a very selfish thing to do <laughs> yeah i think cuz you get all the all the bliss of the giving And so why is it that some people are not very good at receiving? Someone says, "Oh, that's a really nice dress or a shirt." And we go, "Oh, no, no, it's just something I did, you know." And we stop the person from yeah. giving the gift of the compliment. I mean, how selfish is that? Why don't yeah. you just open up and say, "Hey, thank you so much. I'll just take that deep into my heart with gratitude." So, it's much easier to give fully with a full heart. Yeah. So, Everyone wants love. Everyone wants love. It's just a basic thing. And yeah. there are two places you can get it, only two, on mm. the inside or the outside. And if you only know how to get it on the outside, you're going to be disappointed because people will you know, do what they do, human beings, human beings being what they are, even yeah. if you find someone that loves you unconditionally, sooner or later one of you is going to die and then where are you? Yeah. The other place of love is on the inside. and this is really the only thing that we can guarantee and part of this is then being becoming self compassionate being mm. kind to ourselves being gentle to ourselves understanding too that there's a part of us that's critical that wants us to do better but that's the other side and that's the human nurturing and one of the things that I learned and started to learn in my late 20s was how to be a good human being to myself Hmm. treat myself with respect with gentleness with kindness understand that i'm going to make mistakes and i still do hmm. and even if i make a mistake that's me learning new things yeah. so you know when a child is just learning to walk and they don't just get up and walk straight away we don't harangue them we don't say come on get up and <laughs> fall in a that would be that would be insane that would be crazy yeah. yeah so in the same way why can't we use that same understanding that same nurturing towards ourselves and when we do we become more whole we become more resilient we become more able to deal with all the things that life is going to throw at us but if we don't if we don't learn how to do that we will always be a puppet of other people and i don't like being a puppet that's that's beautiful i think that sums this conversation up uh, that last uh, few lines that you said you know that that's uh, that's very impactful and uh, in general i i am just blown away with all the 
wisdom that i've received uh, in this conversation thank you so much mr bill uh, it was amazing to talk to you um it's my pleasure and we could talk for hours i suspect yeah. so if you want me back sometime yeah. then just send me an email and let's talk about something else oh sure 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 that stuff that's definitely happening i think uh, i think it it also feels uh, you know like uh, sometimes uh, i like even after doing some episodes i i realized that some people have this uh, art of uh, giving uh, like knowledge wisdom whatever and they and they do it very playfully and and uh, that's uh, that's and and that that's not uh, something that you see every day i just feel that that's a very good skill to have in your uh, in in your you know whatever reporter but uh, yeah it it's it's been a pleasure talking to you it was amazing we'll definitely we'll definitely have you on i think you have a lot to offer this was just the tip of the iceberg it's my pleasure and one of the things that i um i aspire to be is that it's never too late to be a five year old mm. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing that's an amazing insight Thank you so much Mr Bill uh I hope you have amazing holidays I hope to see uh, this infectious uh, you know contagious smile <laughs> that you always have and uh, it was just amazing to talk to you my pleasure and um, I have to say thank you for the work that you're doing as a young lion talking to other young lions and helping <laughs> them to fast track their wisdom and their experience of life I think what you're doing is just absolutely timely Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And this brings us to the end of this really awesome episode of the Most Serious Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it did add some value in your life. We will be back again with another interesting conversation pretty soon.